It's so easy for churches to become self-focused. Our own comforts and concerns slowly begin to swallow up our time, energy, and resources. But Christ's command to make disciples of all nations should compel us to move out with the gospel to a world in need. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more great commission resources at Radical.net. Well, going out into the world with this vitally needed gospel is the church's mission. And in this third sermon in our three-part series on Matthew chapter 28, David Platt encourages the church to make disciples and to multiply churches both in our own neighborhoods and among the unreached peoples across the globe. Here's David with a new sermon titled, The Church's Goal Among All Nations, from Matthew chapter 28. Well, if you have the word of this global God, and I hope you do, um, if you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to find somebody who's got one to look around. We're going to be turning a lot uh, this morning in the Word. So let me invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 28. That's where we'll start, and then we'll be all over the place from there. Um, While you're turning, let me uh, welcome those of you especially that are gathering with us at Loudoun and Prince William, Montgomery County. Uh, Main Avenue, the Wharf, different microsites just all over Metro Washington. It's good to be together around God's Word. And today we're coming to our third and final week all together as campuses around Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So we're looking together at our vision, our mission, our goal as a church. And then next week, the plan is for each campus to just pause and spend time thinking together about how this vision, mission, goal plays out in different communities. So the statement we're unpacking over the course of these three weeks that really defines who we are, what we do as a church, as we glorify God by making disciples and multiplying churches. So that's what we've looked at the last couple of weeks. Our vision is set on God. We want to know and love and glorify Him by growing as disciples of Jesus and giving our lives to making disciples of Jesus. That's what we saw last week in Matthew 28, 19. Our mission is to make disciples and multiply churches. Now we're finishing out this statement today among all nations, beginning in greater Washington, D.C. So that's where we're going to camp out, among all nations, beginning right here. I, uh, I smile when I say that. I was, I was thinking about one Saturday night, uh, when we had gathered our, our kids, this is when they were younger, we'd gather them together for family worship, and the next morning, I was going to be preaching on Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and so I just said to the kids, I said, kids, let me, let, let's pray, like tomorrow, God could call somebody from where I'm preaching like, to go to another nation. And I look over to our son, Caleb, who we adopted from Kazakhstan, and I said, buddy, tomorrow God could call somebody to take the gospel to Kazakhstan. He kind of smiled. And our, our daughter from China, I said, maybe God's going to call somebody to go to China. She smiled. And then our other two children are born biologically here. And, uh, and so I just kind of generally said, I said, maybe tomorrow God will call somebody to go to Africa. And uh, Joshua, one of our biological sons, he just lit up and he was like, is that where I'm from? And, uh, <laughs> and Caleb from Kazakhstan right next to him said, no, Joshua, you're from Alabama. And, 
And Joshua just had this dejected look on his face, like, like he had maybe finally found his place in the world, but not so. Uh, so anyway, what I want to show you today, uh, really from cover to cover in Scripture, is that this is what Jesus has called us to, to make disciples of all nations. Like you see it there in Matthew 28, 19, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Like, that is the goal of the church. Our goal as a church is to see disciples made in all nations. Now, what I want to show you is this doesn't just come out of nowhere. What I want to do is I want to take you on a quick tour of the Bible, and I want to show you how God has purposed from the very beginning of the world to make his grace and his glory known in all all nations. So if you got Bible, let me invite you to turn back to the very first book, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. And if you, if you don't have a Bible, these verses will be on the screen. But if you do, I really want to invite you to turn with me there. Uh, I want you to see these things. If you don't need to believe anything I say if you can't see it with your own eyes in this book. So let me encourage you to resist the temptation to get kind of a little bit lazy and just kind of watch the screen for the next few minutes. Like, follow along. Make notes. Underline these. Highlight these places in your Bible. I want you to see this picture because if we're not careful, we will miss this picture. I know for me, there, there came a point in my Christian life, I'd been a Christian for years, and I'd never really seen what we're about to walk through. And the first time I saw it, it was just like, whoa, this changes everything. And from beginning to the end of this book, God has made his goal clear. He wants his grace, his glory, his gospel known in all nations. Now, one side note before we start the tour. When you hear the word nations, don't just think geopolitical entities like we might think of nations today, around 200 or so countries, many of which we're seeing in the Olympics right now, because... Well, these nations didn't exist in the Bible in the same way they do today. So believe it or not, the United States of America has not always been around and it's nowhere to be found in Scripture, along with so many other geopolitical entity today's, entities today. So this is where we need to realize when Jesus uses that word nations in Matthew 28, 19, the word that's translated nations is ethne. It's the word from which we get ethnicities or ethnic groups today, which makes a lot more sense when you think about it. Most all of us in this church are citizens of one nation, the United States, but we represent all kinds of different ethnicities, well over 100 different distinct ethnic groups in McLean Bible Church. So when you think about this church, when you think about the city we're in, Washington, D.C., you think about our country, there's all kinds of different ethnicities represented here. And it's true in other countries as well. So when you hear nations, think ethnic groups or People groups, a term anthropologists have used to describe groups of people that share common language or cultural characteristics. And we see terms like this all over the Bible. Peoples, ethnicities, clans, tribes, families, nations. So we see these words and God's goal is for all of them to know and enjoy and worship him. Let me show it to you. Genesis chapter 12. We'll start in verse 1. So this is the beginning God calling Abraham to be the father of the people of Israel, that nation. But I want you to see from the very beginning that it wasn't just about that nation. Verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the, here it is, 
families of the earth shall be blessed. So like clans, tribes, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So it's not just about Israel. It's about all the families of the earth. So then you turn over to Genesis chapter 12, or Genesis chapter 18. Look at chapter 18, look at verse 17. Genesis 18, verse 17, God speaking to and about Abram, again said in verse 17, Genesis 18, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Turn over a couple more chapters, Genesis chapter 22. Look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. Right after Abraham was willing to offer his son Isaac on the altar, you look at verse 17, God says to Abraham, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now listen to verse 18. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So from the very beginning, it wasn't just about one nation. It was about all the nations knowing the grace of God. So you turn a few chapters over to Genesis chapter 26. Abraham had a son. Anybody know Abraham's son's name? Isaac, who we just saw in Genesis chapter 22. Well, in Genesis 26, God's says to Isaac the same thing that he said to Abraham. Look at Genesis 26, verse 4. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, here it is, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Turn over two more chapters to Genesis chapter 28. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And so God comes to Jacob. He gives Jacob a promise. Genesis chapter 28, verse 14 says, Jacob, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread out to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So there it is again. These are the patriarchs in the Bible. And God's saying to all of them, it's not just about you. It's about my blessing be made known among all the families, all the nations of the earth. So now here's what I, where I want you to see that that picture plays out in every major person we see in the Old Testament. Like, turn over to the next book, Exodus. Exodus chapter 9. Look at Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. Think about Moses. So in Exodus chapter 9, God is using Moses to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt. And listen to what he says about why he's doing this. Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up, Moses, to show you my power so that by my, so that so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth, among all the peoples. That's the whole picture of what I'm doing through you, Moses. Now, who takes up after Moses? It's Joshua. So turn over to the right. Go all the way to the book of Joshua. You'll go past a few, a few books. We don't have time to look at. We got 66 books here. We're not going to hit all of them today. Like, you will experience lunch uh, at some point. So, uh, so Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you get to Joshua. Look at Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, look at what God says to, through Joshua, in verse 23, as Joshua is leading God's people in the promised land, it says, Joshua 4, 23, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that, here it is, all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. 
so that all the peoples of the earth may know God is mighty. They may fear him. So that's Joshua. Keep turning to the right. You'll go past Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. Go to 1st Chronicles. 1st Chronicles. So right after 2nd Kings, you'll come to 1st Chronicles chapter 16. I want you to see David. So King David, another prominent person in the Old Testament. Look at 1st Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23. As David is leading the people of God in a song of praise to God, listen to what he says. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 23. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. All the nations, all the peoples. So that's David. Then you turn over to the right. One more book, 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, you see David's son Solomon. David's son Solomon built a temple that was designed to be a display of God's glory, not just to Israel, but among the nations. Look at verse 32 in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. The Bible says, Likewise, when a foreigner who's not of your people Israel, of the people of Israel, when a foreigner, so somebody from the nations, comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that, here it is, all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel they may know that this house that I've built is called by your name. The whole purpose of the temple was so that all the peoples, not just people of Israel, all the peoples of the earth may know and fear God. So that's David and Solomon. Now, keep going to the right. You come to the book of Psalms. So right about the middle of your Bible, go to Psalms chapter two. And we could spend the rest of the day here in Psalms showing this. But this is David, Solomon, and others who have written songs of worship for the people of God. And I want you to hear how they emphasize the nations. Look at Psalm chapter two. Psalm chapter two, verse seven. This is actually talking about God's anointing on the king, not just King David, but in the future, the coming king, Jesus. And Psalm chapter two, verse seven says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Verse eight, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. That's Psalm two. Then turn over to Psalm 22. Psalm chapter 22, another Psalm that has application when it comes to Jesus, this is a psalm that we see Jesus quoting on the cross. Psalm 22, look at verse 27. Psalm 22, verse 27 says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. So it's a picture of all the families worshiping God. The nations being under his rule. Keep going to the right. Psalm 46. I'll just show you two more in the Psalms. Psalm 46. This is a, a, a psalm that's often quoted. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. There's a verse, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. We often quote that. Many times we don't know what the rest of the verse says. Look at Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Show you one more. Psalm 67. Psalm 67. Keep going to the right. 
This, this psalm is a psalm that's praying for God's blessing on the people of Israel. Listen to how nations, peoples are repeated over and over and over again. Listen to the language. Psalm 67, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth your saving power among all nations. Now it just starts. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon our earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded, has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The Psalms are just replete with God deserving glory among all the peoples, among all the nations of the earth. So that's the Psalms. Now keep going to the right. Let's look at some prophets. Are you getting the point? Are you seeing a theme here? I don't know if you're catching on, so I'm just going to keep going for a little bit longer. So Isaiah chapter 2. Look at Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah, this book with 66 chapters worth of prophecy, look into the future. Well, look at what Isaiah chapter 2 says in verse 2. From the very beginning of this book, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. So that's Isaiah 2. Turn over to Isaiah 52. Look at Isaiah chapter 52, verse 10. Now, don't forget, when we see a prophet like Isaiah, this is God's word to Isaiah and through Isaiah. So this is God speaking. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 10 says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Let me show you one more in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 66. So it's the last chapter in Isaiah. This is a great picture. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 18. Talking about the future, listen to this picture. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and all tongues, all languages. They shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and from, from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Poland, Lud, to draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. So then keep going. Let's see another couple prophets. Go over to Daniel. So you go past uh, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. The reason I want to show you this one, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. This is actually... Uh, prophecy in Daniel that is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, it takes us back to this prophecy in Daniel 7, verse 13, when he had a vision, and the picture is, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, it's a picture of Jesus, he came to the ancient of days, God the Father was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's the picture when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's him saying, I've been given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages would worship me. That's the picture in Daniel fulfilled in Jesus coming. 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Now, I want to show you a couple of these books near the old, end of the Old Testament. That we, they're just small books that we sometimes kind of skip over. Go to Zephaniah chapter 2. Zephaniah chapter 2. You might have a hard time finding it. Just kind of get through the maze of Amos, Nahum, Habakkuk. You get to Zephaniah chapter 2. Look at verse 11. And just see this over and over and over again as the, as the Old Testament draws to a close. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 11 says, The Lord will be awesome against them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and to him shall bow down each in its place all the lands of the nations. Then you turn to the next book. You look at Haggai chapter 2. Just keep going to the right. Haggai chapter 2, verse 7. Talking about the future. Verse 7 says, I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. That's Haggai. Then go over to the next books a little bit longer. Zechariah, look at chapter 8. Look at the end of Zechariah chapter 8. I love this passage, the way, verses 20 through 23. Get this picture. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 20 through 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city will go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Listen to this. Many peoples, strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that our God is with you. Oh, what a great picture. Like the nation just streaming because they know God is with the people of Israel. Let me show you one more in the Old Testament. Last one, Malachi chapter two, or Malachi chapter three. Last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter three, verse 12. Look at, Look at what the Bible says there. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So are, are you getting the point? Are you seeing this? This isn't just like an isolated theme that appears every once in a while in Scripture. This is all over the Bible. God is not just a God of one type of people. He's God of all peoples, all nations, all tribes, all families. He wants his grace, his glory to be made known among all all people. So then, it's no surprise when you turn the pages into Matthew, you're in the text that we're in today, Matthew 28, 19, and Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You're like, well, of course he would say that. And he's read this. <laughs> he's had just read it. He wrote it. So, so this, is, this is the theme that's just continuing. So let me show you just a couple places in the New Testament, because I, I trust we know this is all over the New Testament, but look at Mark chapter 11. I was reading this last week in just my personal Bible reading. Uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 17. You remember the story? This is when Jesus uh, overturns the tables of the money changers in the temple. Why was he so angry? It would lead him to do that. Well, listen to what he quotes. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 17. It says, he was teaching them, saying to them, it, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for what? For all the nations. But you've made a den of robbers. little background there. You had different courts in the temple. Court of Jewish men, court of Jewish women. Then you had the court of the Gentiles, the place where the nations could, could come. Do you know where they set up all their tables to exchange money and make profit? Certainly not in the court of Jewish men or court of Jewish women. They set it up in the court of the Gentiles. And it infuriated Jesus because they had basically said, hey, we're going to worship and forget about the nations. 
And Jesus said, no, no, no. I came for the nations. The Father deserves glory. God deserves glory among the nations. My house is a house of prayer for all nations. That's why he's doing what he's doing in Mark chapter 11. And so this is why we see, huh, uh, all right, I got like so many more. We, we won't turn to all these, but we just keep going. Like Luke 24, 40. 5 through 47 talks about how Jesus came so that repentance and forgiveness of sins. He died on a cross. This is the picture. For those of you who are not followers of Christ in this room, so non-Christian friends, family members who've come to worship with us today, we're so glad you're here. The good news of the Bible is that Jesus has died on a cross for you. No matter what nation, tribe, tongue, people you are from, God loves you. You have sinned against God. All of us have. God has made a way for us to be forgiven of our sin against him, not by what we do, but based on what he has done for us. Jesus has paid the price for your sin, my sin, on a cross. He's endured the judgment we deserve for our sin. He's died for us. He's risen from the grave. He's conquered death so that all who trust in him can be forgiven of their sin and have eternal life in him. And Jesus says in the end of Luke, he says, I died, rose from the grave so that this repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in my name to all the nations. Not just to a couple people, but to all peoples everywhere. Which is why you get a couple chapters later, or a couple books later, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All the nations, all the peoples. You keep going. Romans chapter 16, verse 25 through 27, talks about how Jesus has died to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, talks about how all these promises that we saw all over the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ. And what had been promised to Abraham is happening. The nations of the earth are experiencing the blessing of God through Jesus. So I'll just show you one more. Go to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. So we started this tour at the very beginning of the Bible. God's saying, I'm going to make my blessing, my grace known among all the nations. Well, this is where all of eternity ends up in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Last book in the Bible, Revelation 7, verse 9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Just use all the words. Make sure we get the point. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, Jesus, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Ha, it happened. So what God said in the very beginning, I'm going to make my blessing, my grace known among all nations. All of eternity is headed toward the day when, when men and women from every nation, tribe, tongue, people will gather around the throne of God in Jesus and sing his praises for his salvation for all of eternity. That's where all of history is headed toward. And God's designed it that way. Not just for one type of people, but for all types of people. This is why Jesus said, so now back in Matthew 28, 19, go make disciples of all nations. So do, do you get the point? Like... Uh, this is so important because I, I don't think we get the point today in the church. Like we, we hear scriptures like this. And we start to think, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Now I'm getting a clue. Like this is a mission sermon. And I, I'm not called to foreign missions, so okay, this is not for me. I think that I'm not called to foreign missions. As if, as if, global mission is like an optional program in the church for a couple of people who are called to that. 
when, brothers and sisters, I hope we've seen, like global mission, the spread of God's glory to all nations is not an optional program in the church. It's the very purpose of Christianity. It's for all of us. Like we exist as a church for the spread of God's goodness and glory in the world. Like sure, when it comes to calling, like we have different callings and vocations. Like, okay, I'm a pastor. You're an accountant. You're a lawyer. You're a consultant. You're a lobbyist. You work in this or that part of the government. You're a teacher. You're a stay-at-home mom. You're a student. And on and on and on. Like we all have different jobs. But God has called and created every single one of us to play a part in the spread of his grace and his glory in all the world. Amen. Like all the world. All the world, like it's all over. So, and when we say things like, we say, that, well, well, my heart's for here. Like, my heart is for my country, for the United States. That's, that's really where my heart, my heart is for, for D.C. or the DMV area. Or my, my heart is for my community. And we say things like that, but we'll just step back and ask the question based on all we've seen in the Bible. Like, what is God's heart for? God's heart is for all the world. All nations, all peoples. And sure, our, our country's big, but if we say we have a heart for our country, then we're saying we have, what, about 5% of God's heart? Almost like we're proud of that. Like, surely we want God's heart to be our heart. Individually, and as a church, and without question, God's heart is for people right around us. But God's heart doesn't stop there. I was thinking about that this last week with our uh, access ministry. So one of our leaders sent me a quick video from Friday night. So our volunteers, including all kinds of teenagers, were hosting here a prom for special needs kids. I want, I want you to look just real quick. It's like a quick video. But I want, I want you to see this, this email that I got from this last week. Watch this. What do you think about Night to Shine? What do you think is going to happen when you get there? Um, I think uh, red carpet, um, limo rides, getting your hair and makeup done, dancing, karaoke room. And I can't wait to be crown, crown queen for the night. Oh, I was just watching that. Just so thankful for this ministry. So thankful for the heart for kids and adults with special needs in this church. So I saw this, and then later I'm thinking about this sermon, and I, I thought, that's it. Some of the most overwhelming pictures of poverty and oppression that I've ever seen in the world deal with children with special needs. Like when I see a child with special needs high in a South Asian mountain chained to a barn outside with the animals because the community believes that child is cursed. I just think God, God's heart is for that child too. And we want to show God's love like this right around us and far from us. So yes, there are all kinds of needs right around us. And there always will be. Like I just think in this room and other campuses right now, there's so many needs in so many different people's lives. And yes, that's what we do as a church. We love one another. We serve one another. We care for one another amidst the needs. But we also lift our eyes. And we see there's a lot of people who have no clue about God's love for them. 
that are walking through all kinds of things. Like, I just lift your eyes for a minute to a place like, uh, well, here's a country we won't see much in the Olympics, like uh, Yemen. It's in the middle of a war and suffering right now. I just take the northern part of Yemen right now. There's about 8 million people in northern Yemen. About the same population as in Virginia. Do you know how many Christians there are in northern Yemen out of 8 million people? About 20 or 30. At some point, we just got to at least lift our eyes and see there's more Christians in some of our Bible study classes in this church than there are in all of northern Yemen. And at some point, we're going to see God's heart is for those people and their kids and their families and the real needs they're walking through. He wants them to know his love. So God has not left us in the dark when it comes to his goal for the church. God wants his grace, his glory known in all the world, among all nations, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues. This is where we realize. So back here in the Great Commission, Jesus is not just giving us, this is so key, he's not just giving us a general command to make as many disciples as possible, like wherever we live. Follow this. The Great Commission is not a general command to make as many disciples as possible. It's not just go make disciples wherever you want. No, this is a specific command to make disciples among every group of people among, on the planet, like among all the ethnic, among all the ethnic groups, to go to every type of people, group of people, ethno-linguistic group of people on the planet and see disciples made there. That's the goal of God's church. And we cannot stop until that goal is accomplished. You say, well, how are we doing? Well, right now, there are over 11,000 people groups in the world, distinct ethnic groups. Some would say over 16,000, but uh, it all depends on how you divide them. At least 11,000 groups of people, ethnicities, share common language, cultural characteristics. Out of those 11,000 groups of people in the world, over 6,000 of them are still classified as unreached with the gospel. Not yet reached. And and I want to point out something really important here. Like unreached doesn't just mean lost. This is so important. When we talk about unreached, we're talking about people who don't have access to the gospel. So when, when we think of lost, like in sin, apart from Christ, people are just as lost in Washington, D.C. as they are in, uh, North Korea. Like we're all, if we're in our sin, apart from Christ, like we're all, but there's a difference like there's, there's churches right now all over Washington, D.C. that are preaching the gospel. And there's Christians spread out all throughout the city that, are, that have the gospel. In North Korea, there's not a lot of churches preaching the gospel. There's not a lot of Christians scattered with the gospel. In fact, most of them have been put in prison. So there's, there's a big difference when it comes to access to the gospel. This is why sometimes people will say, well, I don't know why we talk about unreached people around the world. I mean, there's unreached people in my office or there's unreached people in my neighborhood when the reality is those people are not unreached. You say, well, how do you know? Because they're in your office. (laughs) They're in your neighborhood. Like, they have access to the gospel. You're it. When we talk unreached, we're talking people who are born and live and die. And many, now most of them, I never have somebody tell them about God's love for them in Jesus. 
That's what it means to be unreached. We're talking about 6,000 plus people groups who, if you're in one of those people groups, the likely it is you won't hear the gospel. If you don't hear of Jesus, how can you believe in Jesus? This is Paul in Romans chapter 10. If you don't believe in Jesus, how can you be saved from your sin? You die in your sin. You say, well, people say, well, how's that fair? It's almost like we start pointing the finger at God as if we should question his character in light of this when the real question is, why in the world is the church that knows this gospel sitting back and saying, well, God's not called me to do that. My heart's not for them. That makes no sense. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, God has clearly called us as his people to make his grace and his glory known among all peoples. And that changes everything we do as a church. Changes how we live beginning right here in Washington, D.C. So think about it. Yes, like that part of the statement, God has put us in one of the most diverse and influential global cities in the world. We have an opportunity to make disciples among the nations right outside our front doors and our workplaces all over this city, which is why we are intentional about creating ethnic fellowships, calling one another to intentionally reach out across ethnic, cultural, even linguistic lines for the spread of the gospel among all kinds of different groups of people in Washington, D.C. So we encourage one another in that way. I know brothers and sisters, I was just thinking about who I talked with last week from Russia, Persian brothers and sisters, Salvadorian, Nepali, Ethiopian, other African, Asian, Latin American countries. Like We have an opportunity as a multi-ethnic church to make disciples of the nations right here. So we do this beginning in Washington, D.C., and then we don't stop there. We look for opportunities to take the gospel to people in places far from here, which is exactly what Jesus was telling his disciples to do in Matthew 28. When he says later in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth, he's telling them, spread out, get the gospel far from where you are. So we as a church want to obey that command to follow Jesus' leadership to the ends of the earth. If there are thousands of people groups around the world who have little to no access to the gospel, then at some point, somebody's got to go to them. We think in every way we can. We go short term for a week or two as we're able. Now, Oftentimes, short-term mission trips get a bad rap, many times for good reason, because they often turn into short-term tourism. And you can't really make disciples in a week. But when short-term mission trips are connected to long-term disciple-making processes overseas and back here, then they are hugely valuable. This is what we see Jesus doing with his disciples, sending them out on short-term missions. So this is why we as a church have opportunities for you this year to serve in Latin America, Africa, Asia, the Middle East, Europe over the next year, in addition to one particular trip where we're inviting just people from all campuses together to spend a week together in Ethiopia. You've heard about our work in Ethiopia alongside churches, among orphans, efforts to take the gospel to unreached people groups, not just in Ethiopia, but throughout the Horn of Africa. So I, other campus pastors, are going to be going on that trip. I would invite you, your family, to join me, us, as we have a concentrated focus, particularly in Ethiopia right now. We need all kinds of people. I was asking Cyrus, doctors, carpenters, children's workers, Bible teachers, law enforcement personnel, step dancers. Yes, I said step dancers. So you name it. All kinds of people, all kinds of domains. I've often encouraged people, just just think about, consider giving 2% of your year. 2% 2% works out about a week of your life this year spreading God's grace in another context and it will totally transform 
the way you look at the other 98% of your life you live right here. And some people will go spend 2% somewhere else and decide, you know, I think I'd rather spend 98% of my time over there and 2% back here. And if that's the case, great. Like, you don't even have to come back. We will send your stuff to you. <laughs> so going short-term, like for a week or two, may lead you to what we call going midterm for a month or two or a year or two. We have all kinds of opportunities for members of this church to go spend a month or a summer or a semester or a year or two somewhere else in the world. In fact, I would encourage every single student so as you're getting up in high school, then as you're in college, spend at least one summer, if not a semester or a year, somewhere else in the world sharing the gospel. This is a unique time in your life for you to be a part of what God is doing around the world. We want to help you do that. Parents, raise, call your kids to do that. You might ask, well, is this, well, is this like the Mormonization of McLean Bible Church? And the answer is, it sure is. <laughs> Except we're doing it with the true gospel. Like, if Mormon families and students are that committed to taking a false gospel around the world, then what in the world are we doing with the true gospel? Amen. So not just so students and students, singles, couples, families, senior adults, anybody who's got a gap for a month or two or more to go, we want to help you go. And not just midterm, but, but long-term to go. Now, I, I want to be clear. I, I'm not saying I don't believe God's calling every single one of us to move to another part of the world for the spread of the gospel. Well, I mean, he might, but I, I, don't, I don't think he is. At the same time, I am confident he's calling many from McLean Bible Church to go long-term. And you just think about it. If, if we have over 10,000 people in gatherings today, and there's over 6,000 people groups around the world that have little to no access to the gospel, then surely in light of what we've seen in Scripture, God is calling many of us to go to them. Calling many of us to follow in the footsteps of George Lyle, first missionary from America. Unfortunately, many people don't know about George Lyle. Not a lot has been written about him because he was African American. But he started African American churches among slaves in Georgia. Then he left America as an indentured servant go to Jamaica, where he started planting churches amidst fierce persecution, including Jamaican law that forbid preaching to slaves. Lyle gave his life long-term on mission. His legacy is felt today, not only across Jamaica, but in America, across Africa, as he raised up other missionaries to go long-term to the nations. This is a slave who spent his life for the spread of God's grace and glory in the world. How much more should we, with our freedom, follow in his footsteps? So we as a church are going to be intentional about sending brothers and sisters from among us to the nations through all kinds of avenues. Just some may go long-term as your job. In other words, if God's calling you in this way, we sense that together, then we will work with you to find ways to financially support you taking the gospel to the nations. That's one of the beauties of partnering together with the IMB because thousands of churches like McLean, pull their resources together to fully financially support thousands of missionaries around the world who are making disciples, multiplying churches among the nations. You may go long-term as your job, or you may go long-term through your job. The reality is many in this church have jobs that already open doors to go around the world, to go and work in another country. And you don't need to find support for that. You've already got avenues for that to go and live for the spread of the gospel in another place in the world. A brother came up to me just the other day. He works for the state. An opportunity to open up in the Middle East for him and his family. So he took it. He said, all right, I've done it. Like I'm going to the nations. So what do I do now? 
And so this is the picture I just think there are so many people in this church with so many opportunities. What if God has given us those opportunities because he wants his grace and his glory known all over the world through our lives? That's exactly what he's done if we will think this way. All this depends on thinking this way, on having a different perspective, a God-centered biblical perspective on the goal of our lives and his church. This is the goal God has given us together. Yes, it plays out in our lives in all kinds of different ways, but that, that all leads to three exhortations I want to give all of us today. So follow this. If Jesus has given us, in Matthew 28, 19, God's given us all over the Bible a goal of seeing disciples made, churches multiplied among all the nations beginning right here, then I want to challenge us. One, let's pray zealously for God's glory among the nations. Let's pray like we have God's heart. Like we want more of it. Do, Do you realize that you and I can be a part of what God is doing in North Korea every morning from our knees. That is an awesome privilege. That I would ask, you look at your prayer life right now. What evidence is there of a zeal for God's glory among the nations, of praying and pleading for his grace to spread to all peoples? And I just I want to encourage us. Like, this is how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name in all the earth. This is what he taught us to pray like. And it's so simple. It's so simple. Like, in my, my quiet time, I've got, I've got a couple of apps. I mean, Operation World, you might write these down as, as tools. Operation World is a, is a calendar you can pray through over the course of a year, and you'll end up praying for every geopolitical entity nation in the world and all the people groups in them over the course of a year. Uh, IMB has a prayer app. Joshua Project has an app. So, I mean, this Joshua Project app, like I just, in my time of the Lord in the morning, I just press one button, it opens up to the Inchi people in China today. And it's an unreached people group. And it takes 30 seconds just to hear about this people group that is 0.06% Christian. Most have never heard the gospel. Southeastern China, southwestern China. So just to plead, God, please draw in people to know your grace and your glory. And you start praying like that, just day in and day out, just a few seconds, you start to get God's heart for the world. Let this affect the way you view the news. Like, don't just go, okay, what's, what's my, my uh, latest gossip and this or that picture of politics? Like, there's so many more important things going on around the world. So look at the World News app that you use and just start praying for the spread of the gospel in the midst of all these different the people. Like, when you look at what's going on in this or that part of the world, just pray, God, make your grace and your glory known people there. If you're watching the Olympics, just pray. It's just going to lead you. The Lord is going to use the Olympics to lead you just to pray for the nations. Well, think that way. Let's pray zealously for God's glory among the nations. Then, second, let's give sacrificially for God's glory among the nations. Let's give sacrificially for this purpose. Let's just acknowledge the obvious. We live in one of the most wealthy places in the entire world. So what if God has given us such wealth, not so that we can have more comforts in our country, but so that others among the nations might know the grace and goodness and glory of our God? That's what he's called us to. So how does our budget reflect that? A sacrificial devotion to seeing God's grace and glory spread among all peoples. I want to challenge us as a church, through the church, let's give for the spread of the glory of God among the nations. What if God has willed our wealth for the sake of his worship? Psalm 67 says that's exactly what he's done. 
He's blessed us so that the nations might know he is good and he is God. Let's, let's not miss the purpose of our wealth. And third, let's go willingly. And I, I think in two ways. So one, let's go willingly right where we live. So this is that beginning in greater Washington, D.C., part of our goal as a church. God has put us here. He's put you here, me here, us here together for a reason. He wants his grace and his glory to be made known in the DMV area. He wants disciples to be made, churches to be multiplied right here. So let's give ourselves to that. Just like we talked about last week, see, as you give your life to disciple making right here, you're part of God's global plan. So right where we live, and then let's go willingly wherever God leads. Let's just open up our lives. I challenge every follower of Christ, member of this church, open up your life. Say, God, do you want me to go somewhere short-term? Mid-term? Long-term? Knowing God's going to lead us in all kinds of different ways. And just because God leads one person this way and another person in a different way doesn't mean this person's super spiritual, that person's not. The issue is not where, when you go. The issue is whether you are obedient. Whether your life is surrendered to him this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Like our lives belong to him. He's Lord. So just to say in your life, in your family, Lord, here we are. Lead us however, wherever you want. You just pray that and see what, see what God does. Some of you might say, I don't know if I can like honestly pray that to God. Like what if he leads me to West Africa in the middle of Boko Haram? What if he leads me to go somewhere in the, this or that part of the Middle East or this remote area of Southeast Asia? I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I can actually pray that. And this is where if that question comes to your mind, I just want to encourage you, uh, don't forget who God is. <laughs> he loves you so much. And if you can trust God to save you from your sins for all of eternity, then you can trust him to lead you on this earth. And not just to lead you, but to satisfy you every step of the way. Mark it down. You will never, ever, ever regret giving your life to God's goal. Never. So let me, uh, let me close with a story. Karen Watson was part of a church in California. And one day she sensed God saying, I want you to go long-term. So this single woman sold all she had, left her home and job, moved to the Middle East to serve specifically in Iraq as a missionary. She was in a vehicle with four other missionaries one day when it was ambushed with gunfire. Karen Watson, along with three others, Larry and Jean Elliott and David McDonald, was killed. Just before she left to go overseas, though, she gave her pastors a letter. I want you to hear what she said. She wrote, Dear pastors, you should only be opening this letter in the event of death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to God. To obey him was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory was my reward. His glory is my reward. 
She said this was her heart. She said, I want to care more than some think is wise. I want to risk more than some think is safe. I want to dream more than some think is practical. I want to expect more than some think is possible. I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. And she closed. She said, there is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you and my church family. In his care, Karen. This is my prayer for our hearts. For us individually in this church, for us collectively as a church, that we would care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. And expect more than some think is possible. There would be a people who are called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. That our goal would be his glory and our reward would be knowing and serving him however and wherever he leads. We live like that, church, and we will have no regrets. Let's pray. Oh God, we have seen in your word with our own eyes your zeal for the spread of your grace and your glory among all the nations, among all the peoples. So very simply with our lives and this church we pray, use us however you will for the spread of your grace and your glory among all the nations. God, we want to play our part. Every one of us in our lives and our families and then as a church, we want to play our part in seeing Revelation 7, 9, and 10 become a reality. So don't, don't let us live with any other goal in mind ultimately than that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to watch this full sermon or check out hundreds of other sermons, articles, and podcasts, it's all available free to you at Radical.net. Well, I'm your host, Thomas Bowen, and until next time, join us there at Radical.net.